0: We're live, we're
1: live, okay. Okay, um, yeah, take your time, relax, be comfortable, whatever you need. So, um, since this is your podcast, but can I pretend I'm introducing you and all? Can I do that? However, you want to start, is
0: however we can get started, okay. <laughs> welcome beautiful people to another episode of the black crown chronicles podcast this is a special episode release that i'm doing maybe for this season maybe not i don't know we'll see what happens any curiosities about my research arc or what my passion is as it relates to scholarship without you reading the full pages upon pages for my dissertation, or if you don't have access to any of my published work. So by listening to this episode, you'll get a taste for some of my projects that I've been working on, my published work as well as what it takes to get to the finish line of a PhD. There are many people who are ABD, um, which is fine and great, but if your goal to start a terminal degree, EDD, PhD was to get those letters, then we need to get those letters. And so I talk about what that journey is like for me and how others can persist in this journey. So stay tuned.
1: get my background right I, I washed my hair <laughs> how do you feel
0: now that your hair is washed
1: how, how do I feel as I always feel better when my hair is down yeah, than when yeah. it's on top I, I don't know why but I just I feel I'm the
0: same like, way I like to be free I, I love styles but after two days I like to be free
1: yeah <laughs> well Um, Hello everyone and welcome today. We are so excited. This is our um, first alumni uh, feature here in our department at Morgan State University. I am Dr. Kimberly McManus, a faculty here at the the Community College Leadership Program here at Morgan State University. And today we have with us Dr. Kenesha Rowe. I'm so excited. She is a 2023 Doctoral graduate here at the Historic Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, before we get started, um, I would, if you will, uh, Dr. Ro, I'm just excited um, that you are joining us today. Um Thank If you, you could tell us just a little bit about yourself uh, before we get started.
0: Sure. Um, I always, like, hesitate when <laughs> folks say, like, tell me a little bit about myself because I'm like, which aspect do you want to know? There's so many... Somebody- <laughs> interesting pieces. Um, but yes, I am a recent graduate of Morgan State University. Very proud of that. Okay. Morgan Strong, HBCU grad that I can now add to my resume of degree collecting. <laughs> <laughs> things. Um, but a little bit about me. Um, I was attracted to Morgan State actually like over 10 years ago because of the interest in the student affairs program. So to come around full circle and now be a graduate of the doctoral program is very special. I was initially supposed to be a graduate of the master's degree program. Um, but for various reasons, uh, I wasn't enrolled in the program. So to be a, a recipient now in a degree holding person, that makes me very, very happy because it means that it was meant to be. Um, in my full time work, I am a higher education administrator. I have been doing higher education work for almost two decades. Um, I've worked in a number of different areas. Um, I love student activities, I love student development, and I like seeing the light bulb go off for students when. I'm able to support them through a conversation that connects to their why. Mm -hmm. So, oftentimes when we go through college, you know, we meet different people, we meet different faculty, different staff. And in that moment, you may not realize, like, this person actually assisted me to do this, this, and this. But I like to be that connector for students. So, that's initially what attracted me to the field is that um, I wanted to be the person for other students where Mm -hmm. they, needed more people that looked like them that understood their experiences um and to do that at predominantly white institutions has been the majority of my career um before this i was in corporate event planning so higher education for me is actually a second career which is a fun fact that a lot of folks don't
1: know um i mean i just learned some some information i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> I would never guess you're now your second career, so. Yeah, um. yeah, I think, you know, we need to normalize that
0: more in having more than one career or I would even say pathway because even in higher education, like when you get started, or when I say like to say when you get recruited to mm-hmm. be a student mm-hmm. affairs professional because that's oftentimes a pathway It is someone taps you on your shoulder and they say hey mm-hmm. what you doing, have you thought about it, <laughs> you, need to go, you, need to, you need to do this master's program and then you need to get this graduate assistantship they'll pay for it, yeah. Um When you get recruited, we often think that we have to stay in one particular niche of higher education. So I started off in student activities and then, you know, it's kind of thought that you work your way up in student activities and that's it. But you can actually transition in and out and across different areas. But I feel like the field doesn't always allow for that flexibility, but it can absolutely happen. I am a product of that saying, hey, I love this work. But being on campus every single weekend isn't so great for my lifestyle. So let me think about, (laughs) I love it. But uh, as I move into this next phase of my life, let me think about different changes and different experiences that I want to make. So I've been able to have um, some transition there and I'm really happy about that.
1: And you know what? I think that's some great advice. Um, I know that, you know, th- there's some questions I would like to ask you, but before I even get to those, I think that's some great advice because I think a lot of times students don't realize that and they also get kind of trapped, if you will, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And so as you were saying about now you feel you are uh, being the connector for students and special students who look like you and me, um, that's that's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um and in, in, in doing so, you can also help these students to realize that, yeah, you maybe you started off on, you know, path A, but if you get, go get your degree and you go and you continue to uh, get some, some work under your belt, some experience under your belt, now you can, you don't have to stay in lane A. Maybe you can venture over to lane C, and I think that's really good.
0: Yeah, because for me, like all of it kind of did come around full circle going from corporate event planning. I was able to take that event planning experience, you know, managing huge corporate events and translate that into higher education and planning concerts and different uh, festivals that they have on campus. So you may not think that it's related, or how will it be useful? Sometimes it's just a matter of, can you manage this level of stress? Can you manage this many projects? It doesn't have to, doesn't necessarily have to be like something as tangible as event planning in this, uh, in this field to another field. So sometimes it's just a, a matter of, it's a lot of stress going on right now. Can you handle it? <laughs> can you move through this? And can you still perform? And can you still deliver? So um, Yeah every I do believe that everything that we do is in preparation for what's coming next
1: I completely agree with you and don't be surprised if I steal that that line from you right there I I love that line (laughs) that I just came up with um somebody write it down and (laughs) I know (laughs) I need to write it down completely so um yeah I, I am in such agreement with you as well and I think um it's so funny, but I do think if we had the opportunity to just the interview um, a lot of different people from across the board, they would probably give some similar stories that you just gave, right? Like, this yeah, is how yeah. I started um, normally as a student, and then this is where I am, and, and then where I hope to be, you know, later on. And so, well, I just, again, want to tell you congratulations again for completing your doctorate um, this past May. Again, many, many uh, congratulations to you. And I want to talk a little bit today about your dissertation and the work that you are currently doing. So um, if you could just kind of uh, tell the audience that's listening today a little bit about your dissertation topic and then again, um, some of the work you're currently doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my dissertation, which um, shameless plug, but I am very proud of it, because I made this a goal, I want to get an award for dissertation of the year, because I believed that this work was so important. And I also wanted to be recognized for um, putting it together in a very scholarly way that you don't typically see so my dissertation has a very long title but if you can't remember all of it just remember crowning glory that's <laughs> a crowning glory by row r o w e Um, 2023 that's the citation so it's the the whole dissertation is called crowning glory exploring the narratives of black women with natural hair and hair texture in the construction of professional identities as medical and law professionals so it's a very long title but if you know anything about uh, titling your dissertation, you want to make sure that your title gives your audience some clue about what your dissertation is about. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, they're not going to read it or even get past the abstract. My dissertation is well over two hundred pages, <laughs> so <laughs> I want folks to to. Everyone's not going to read the dissertation, but at least in the title and the abstract, they should know what the what the research is about. So. In my research, I wanted to center the experiences around Black women, um, so anyone who identifies as Black. And I use the term Black very specifically because I'm a black woman, but I do not identify as being an African-American black woman because I was born and raised in the UK, my entire ancestry on both sides of my family's Jamaican. So to be African-American, that doesn't capture my experiences. But if you say, are you a black person? Absolutely, yes. Are you right. a a uh, British Jamaican person? Absolutely, yes. But that's not one of the checkboxes that I have to fill out as an immigrant in this country. So black encapsulates my experience. And that was very important to me in not just narrowing it down to say these are African-American experiences, because a lot of times African-American and Black get used interchangeably, and there's some nuance there, and you'll find that in my research, there is nuance there between African-American, African-immigrants, and Caribbean um, participants. I call them narrators in my research, Mm -hmm. and so looking at the experiences of black women who wear their hair natural for the most part. And I'm saying five to six times out of the day where they're not concealing it, if they're letting the world see their hair, I wanted to know how that identity impacted them in very niche fields that are traditionally and historically very white and very male. And so I picked the two very, um, very intentionally in looking at law and looking at medicine, because I know from my experience and listening to my friends and colleagues that this can be a very lonely road. And so because I know what the identity and connection and discovery of natural hair has done for me in my field... I said, there's certainly a story that I can tell about these women. And so that's Mm -hmm. what the dissertation is about. It's a qualitative research dissertation. Um, A lot of times... scientists, social scientists like to only look at the numbers, well, how many people did you interview? Well, if it's Mm -hmm. not over 10,000, it's not significant. And there is power in the nuance, there's power in narrative inquiry, there's power in qualitative research. And that's where my dissertation comes into play is that you can't possibly read the experiences of 10,000 people nuanced, but you can read and learn about the experiences of a small handful of black women. And that's what my research really talks about. Um, And it breaks down into the traditional, well, usually dissertations are five chapters. I actually have six (laughs) because that's what made sense in my writing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what I break down in each of the six chapters and weaving that through. But really centering the experiences of Black women was something that I wanted um, this research to really, to really highlight.
1: So let me ask you a question, um, because you are, again, talking about Black women and their experiences. Coming into the program, um, did you already have some type of idea as to what you would, you know, you know how we always do, we think about it, this is my mm-hmm. topic, this is what I love. Um, yeah. Coming into the program, did you already have, like, an idea as to what you wanted to do later on down the road?
0: Not at all. So uh-huh. I knew that I wanted whatever I did, it had to be Black. I knew that. <laughs> and that sounds like a selfish reason like you only want to do something connected to you but that's because I don't read and learn enough about my experiences so if I'm going to spend five years or more doing this work let it be about uplift of of people who share my identities right so Mm -hmm. initially what I wanted to do was, um, and this is just an idea out there. I, and I was working, um, in a conduct system, uh, that we were, uh, investigating title IX cases. So like title IX and sexual harassment. And I was thinking like, huh, this is interesting. And I was thinking about the other side of the perspective, considering the intersection lens of race. And I was saying, what are the experiences of Black men who get falsely accused of Title IX um, allegations or or are found responsible in a university process? What is their experience after the fact? Like, how does it impact and shape their lives? Because I think at that time, I'd read a couple of headlines that had shown that the women who came forward, Uh, recanted their stories and Mm -hmm. I was saying oh and for me I think that's just you can make any decision that you want but when I think about how black men are criminalized and based on appearance and stereotypes Mm -hmm. and then to find out that in this particular case not all cases but in this particular case that it was not true I was thinking so what happens to this young man's life like mm-hmm. he was an athlete. I'm thinking about all these things, and so I was really trying to search for the story that has not been told, and maybe that digs into like my undergraduate degree in journalism a little bit. Like I said, <laughs> everything comes full circle. I don't know, but that's initially if I if someone were to ask me like, what are your thoughts? What would it be? And then um, I also thought about uh, about workplace bullying. Yeah, between women, because mm. I was experiencing that. Yes, <laughs> and I said, like, and so the the research had I decided to go in that direction would have then been a, a serious form of therapy, but it was almost too close, and I was like, ah, in this way, I'm kind of outing myself and outing yeah. the people that I work with, and what yeah. are the repercussions of right research? You know, you you also have a career to protect.
1: That is so uh, true.
0: Yeah. So I I still like that topic and and still passionate about that topic. And then I just kind of came back. So a couple of ideas to answer your question have floated through my mind, but nothing really stuck until like maybe three years in and it became about Black beauty and about Black women. And then I then tried to really narrow it down because there's so many things about Black beauty. And then I looked at myself and I was like, it's hair. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's what it is. That's where you go. And yeah. have you've seen this before, not not that often. And then I started to discuss, started to discover, excuse me, um, mm-hmm. other people who were starting to do or who have actually done this research. And I said, this is where I need to hang out in the library, is among these particular scholars.
1: Yeah, because I, I honestly, when last May. Um and when your um uh, dissertation uh title was read out, I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've, I've, you know, honestly, had I known, I would have been one of your participants for real. Um, <laughs> I really would have been because like I was I'm sharing with you uh, once before, I've literally been natural almost my entire life and um, growing up in South Carolina, I'm from South Carolina and um, just was told certain things, you know, um, by older women and, um, and once before it was an older woman from the Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. Who actually told me that I would never be considered for promotion in higher education with my hair, quote unquote, that way. Right. Um, and that's what she said. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and, you know, and listening to an older woman, you know, it can be difficult because you want to listen to an older woman. Uh, so I completely understand one of your first topics that you were interested in um, because listening to an older woman, I, you know, I wanted to believe her, but then I wanted to also believe in me. And who I am and in my own process. Right. Um, And so it sounds to me like that's kind of what you've come to in your studies and, and even in your own experience of just being a black woman with natural hair. Right.
0: Yeah, that's actually one the one of the it's not one of my final themes, but certainly a discovery in my research is that you'll be surprised how many times and this happens across social justice issues, how many times the oppressed become the oppressors. Yes. So because a couple of my participants were of Caribbean heritage, we shared the same value. So what you're talking about your experience. I've heard some of those similar things, either heard them from my life experience or observed it for others. And so that colonizer mentality of your hair must be straight in order to be presentable, neat and well groomed and that an Afro does not meet that hair presentation. Uh locks like mine certainly don't. They, mm-hmm. you know, if you're Jamaican, they mean that you are maybe of the Rastafarian um mm-hmm. faith. They mean other things. Maybe it means that you are uh housing insecure or or just a number mm-hmm. of things. Nice. You're just you're just resisting <laughs> all things that have to do with um with order. That's mm-hmm. where that comes in. And so we don't necessarily need those other messages. Um, as loudly from the oppressor because we have internalized those messages for ourselves and we're doing it within our own communities. So we don't need them as often. We don't need them as loud. That's something that definitely came up in my discovery. And I was shocked because these women were much younger than I am. And you know, for the generation before us, those messages were also there. So it's just interesting to see it generation after generation that the message is unchanged.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I can't I can't imagine. And like you said, the it's it's just perpetuates. I, I think it will never end. I think the cycle will always continue, unfortunately, because as you stated, the oppressed has now become the oppressor. So we have to deal with women who look like us who will always say these same things to us is you're not going to get this. You're not going to go there if you have your hair in that way. Um, And so it is something to think about. So along those lines, then in your narratives, and I think you kind of answered this, but I I wanted to know specifically, did any of your participants speak to this? Like, did they ever say they felt judged based on their choice of hairstyle in the professional world? Was that like a theme that came out in your narratives?
0: Um, judged may not be the right word. I think judgment was always there. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it came from family members, like Mm -hmm. matriarchs, like we said before, it's just within how we're raised. Sometimes it's generational, those messages that we received, Mm -hmm. um, particularly if you are, an immigrants or raised in an immigrant home and you're mm-hmm. trying to assimilate into American culture, you wanna have a, the least amount of barriers as possible. So in a way, I kind of understand the way that um, some parents prepare their children to be able to quote unquote, succeed in America. I understand that because I myself am, am an immigrant. Um, and so I some of that definitely resonates with me, but the, the judgment I don't think it was really labeled as judgment like that. I think it really came out more so in terms of um, acceptance, like being accepted and it came out more so in the terms of credibility within my field. So a little bit of that kind of touches on judgment. Is is this person a good a uh, physician? Are they a good trainee physician? Are they a good, Um, uh, are they going to be a good attorney? And a lot of that also, because image has so much to do with professionalism, a lot of that had to do with the types of fields that these women chose to go into, either because they wanted to encounter that resistance, or they wanted the path of least resistance.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: hair kind of was that determining factor once they've done everything else, the way that it should be done, preparing for exams, um, exploring the field. Hair certainly was that deciding factor in, or hair presentation rather, was that deciding factor in, will I be accepted in this space?
1: And you said in a space you chose specifically, you said uh, lawyers, is that what you said?
0: Right. So my research focused on two fields specifically, um, the legal field and the field of medicine. Mm -hmm. So every narrator that I spoke with um, was... Uh, had already entered the professional field through internships and was now actually, so it's no longer like you're in the classroom. You're now actually where your work site would be. And so all of those dynamics that you would typically encounter are there. It's no longer a practice arena. You're dealing with real patients. You're working with real clients.
1: And it's that is kind of like, um, I don't want to say floors me, but you know, you would think in those two fields that you would have the least amount of flexibility, you know, with your hair. You you, you
0: You see what I'm saying? Like, what do you mean by least amount of flexibility?
1: Like for those, like what you're saying for those women who are going into law, you know, in the courtroom and having to assimilate more, I guess that's what I'm saying. It seems like those fields, especially in the legal field, it seems to me that persons of color would need to assimilate more. No?
0: Perhaps. I think it depends on on what assimilation means. Does it mean And again, my criteria for this study was very specific, very intentional. I made those decisions. I created the research design because I wanted to hear of a particular narrative of women. And so, yes, that may be true that, you know, in these fields that are very um, conservative, um, but I wanted to speak with the Black women who said that regardless of these conservative values, I am entering this professional space, this educational space as my authentic self, because I wear my hair natural five, six, seven days a week. So I wanted to speak with those women specifically who have chosen to wear their natural textures, not women who are natural, but conceal it with, um, extensions or with a sew and weave or Mm -hmm. anything like that, or, or any type of thing to extend their hair. I wanted to speak with women who were courageous enough to enter those fields as themselves. And one woman in particular actually transitioned um, in that field, in the field of law. And so those were the women that I wanted to speak with It's like, what is your experience? Like, how does this impact your ideals about professionalism? How does this impact your, um, your trajectory, how your, how you are, uh, how folks in, engage with you in the classroom and in the workspace? Those are the women that I wanted to speak with, even though these are very conservative fields.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you a quick question. You said one person actually transitioned her hair, right? So she went from, what, being parmed to being natural? Is that what she did?
0: Um, I, I don't want to misquote my research because I have not been in there to remember her exact story, <laughs> but... Yeah. um. I don't believe it was a perm, but I do believe that it was a transition. So she experienced what a lot of Black women experience, which is the big chop, where you cut off the straightened ends. So you don't always have to have a perm to have straight hair. You could be flat ironing your hair for years and lose your texture. Wow. Um, you could have uh, colored it and it could have like damaged your natural curl, curl pattern. So for her, she experienced the big chop in the middle of her transition. It was also interesting because this was also during the pandemic as well. So the world, the United States shut down our access to beauty salons and other resources also were extremely limited. So this also, I I think in in my, in my opinion, I think it encouraged her natural transition.
1: I I guess I'm just, I'm really curious about it. Like I would love to know, and I I don't know if you uh, remember, but like did, did she you know what did she encounter because like i said for me it's different for me for most of my life i've been natural so it's different when you see me this is who i've always been mm-hmm. if i walked in the door with straightened hair then you'd think i you know with cuckoo for cocoa puffs right mm-hmm. <laughs> because it would be completely outside of my character but for someone who is transitioning in the middle of you know like you know here she is establishing a career and she's now transitioning i just wonder um, really from her lens, what did she feel? Like, I wonder, um, did she feel like she needed to be more, uh, courageous than she, don't, you know, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, did she feel like she needed to talk to other sisters, um, who were natural and who already were in the field? Like, um, do you know? Yeah, I, I remember
0: that. Um, and I, I know exactly which, uh, narrator this is, um, I won't say on record, but I know if you read the dissertation, you'll know which young woman I'm speaking of. For her, she experienced a lot of negative psychological impact. So um, by that, I mean that she experienced a dip maybe in self-identity and self-esteem because she was trying to come to terms with Okay, when you look in the mirror, who is who is this person now? And also I'll I just want to say as a disclaimer, you know, the research that we do in narrative inquiry, we do this research with a narrator. And so these experiences of these women are from my analysis, from Mm -hmm. my filter through my lived experiences from what I know as a scholar. Um, So I just wanna say that as a disclaimer. Um, I also know that this young woman also experienced invisibility. And so uh, because her hair presentation then became somewhat similar to another black woman in the program, she then started to be called another name. And so it's like, is she, you know, it doesn't matter. We know that we have two black students, you're just going to call one name and then hope oh. that somebody responds. Mm-hmm. Um, I recall that she shared a story of, um, and be sorry, before I get to that, another thing that she experienced was like, the scramble for resources. So like, where do you go? YouTube was a huge help, which is, you know, was not available to me when I transitioned. I wish right. that it was, but right. that's another way that you can build community, share resources, share resources. But in her discovery and in, in learning about texture and, you know, what products to use, she thought her texture would be like Someone that she saw on YouTube when it was totally different. And this is because, you know, she had lighter skin. She thought, right. oh, yeah, I have light skin. I'ma have this texture. And that was not the case. And we know right. that colorism and texturism certainly yes. runs rampant in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another case where she was at a um at a formal event and really like struggled with like how do you present yourself with natural hair at a formal event? Because when you think formal, you think curls, mm-hmm. length, um, you know, like a mm-hmm. updo. What if your hair is not long enough to do an updo and hers wasn't, wasn't. So she really struggled with picturing who, what do I look like in a formal atmosphere? Um, and, you know, when she was ignored in that formal atmosphere, it was like, well, shoot, does my hair even matter? I know that it matters because I'm, feeling all of these things because I cut it. And so she, you know, went through a lot. It's, it's a lot of things that we deal with and manage on an individual level that sometimes we don't even take the space to have the conversation with our sister, with our brother about what's happening. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, People think that it's just hair, but it it impacts so many things of a, a black woman's experience. And certainly when you're trying to gain employment or trying to gain employment or promotion in a certain field that you already know that you're going to experience barriers, you want to eliminate as many of those as possible. But how so- can you eliminate hair if you've chosen that? I want to wear my natural hair and I don't want to straighten it. Like my hair grows up, not down. What do you then do?
1: Mm-hmm. That is so true. You what do you do? You be your own natural self. Be yourself, and <laughs> you, you yourself. yeah, you be yourself, and you
0: let the organizational norms shift. Now they mm-hmm. shift at your expense. That's what I you know in my dissertation. One of the major findings is that Black women experience what I call Black femme tax. All of the things that I explained to you about what this young woman was experiencing, this is, you know, we know of like the pink tax, things that are labeled for women cost more. Well, yeah. things that we have to experience as Black women, there is this additional labor, additional cost that our counterparts simply don't have to, they're not even exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, not at the levels that, that we certainly are. So that is something that all of my participants experienced experienced in some way or another to different degrees, but they all experience the black, the black fem tax. Okay.
1: Wow. If you like what you've heard so
0: far, take a moment to like, subscribe, and rate us. This helps us create
1: content you want to hear more about. And then she said, uh, as a sidebar, she said, I have another thing to contribute. I said, well, what would you like to contribute? She said, "Um, well, honestly, you know, she said years ago, she has a son. And she said years ago, uh, a letter came forth uh, from the school, from my son's school. And she said, and they were talking about lice. You know where I'm going, right? Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm, Okay. I'm,
0: I'm reserving judgment. I'm just saying, tell me more.
1: Okay. <laughs> this is the end of the story. She said, "Uh, she said, uh, my son received his note from the school about lice. And, and she said, and so a friend of mine who is a black woman, um, she texted me a joke and said, well, I know the lice didn't start with my daughter. Okay. Okay. And that's what she said.
0: I And, and I've heard that, but I also know that black hair texture comes in a huge variety and you can have a black person. That person could have lice, right? <laughs> but Just because you're black doesn't mean that, you know, you are exempt from getting lice, but I do understand what they're saying that yeah. when your hair is oiled, when it's of a certain consistency that you are less likely to have, um, those pests.
1: But isn't it funny? That's what she summed it all. That's literally was her summation. of I got some extra to add to it about <laughs> black hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is, you know, and I bring this up to say this is why I think your topic is such uh, of such importance. Um, you know, because um, we're here to stay, right? Like, um, I think years ago when it was kind of like this uh, phenomenon, black women going natural, right? Um, And I think that people thought it was just a fad, but Black hair is here to stay. Um, And so what I would like to ask you as we are finishing today, I have just a couple more questions to ask. Sure. And um, that is my first question to you is, uh, what would you like to offer to those students who are still in the process of completing their their dissertation since you've graduated now from Oregon?
0: Yeah, so... (laughs) I'm laughing because um what I would tell myself is motivation. And this sounds negative, but it's it was my motivation is I want my life back. And for folks mm-hmm. who are dissertating, I know that they want their life back. Right. Not that it has taken over, but you would like to not always have to dedicate time and in, 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 in energy to writing this thing that you may have developed a love-hate relationship with, hopefully not a total hate relationship with. So I would say use that as motivation to get your life back and let's motivate ourselves to finish what we have started. Um, what was your why? Why did you enroll in the program? Okay, you finished coursework, you finished comps, which is not easy because that's technically a way to weed people out of terminal (laughs) degrees is your comprehensive exam. And little did I know that I even had to do a comprehensive exam when I started my PhD. So I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that because (laughs) I don't know if I would have (laughs) started if I'm being fully honest. So it was a surprise to me, (laughs) year (laughs) 2.53. I got to, huh? Okay, so at this point, I'm not quitting. I am. I want to finish because I believe so much in this scholarship. So remember your why. Why did you want to start? Why do you want a PhD? Why do you want an EdD? Um, could you leave right now? Because there is ABD, all but you have done all but dissertation. Right? Are you happy with that? Can you put right. that on a resume, Kanisha L. Rowe ABD? What does that mean? Um right. that, I wanted I wanted the PhD behind my name. Yeah. I wanted to prove to myself and others that I can do this. What was also motivation for me, and I know that we all have examples that I can look across the world and be like, you have a PhD? If you have a PhD, (laughs) I too (laughs) have a PhD. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, whatever the terminal letters are. And that was motivation is that let's finish what we started. There was a reason why you were admitted to this program with this particular idea, with your identities at this place, at this school. And you have to follow up behind that. So let's finish what we started. Let's add to the literature. Otherwise, you know, the literature will only exist in a very homogeneous way. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I said, I gotta add this conversation about professionalism and hair to the conversation. It matters. And here's my my take on it. Here's what I think, here's my um, perspective. This is my analysis. These are my recommendations. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of folks forget that, is that when you write your chapter five, or in my case, my chapter six, I give my recommendations for policy, for practice, for people in working as administrators. I give my recommendations for Black women. So mm-hmm. this is the why. Why does it all matter? And that's what you have to keep reminding yourself about. If you got to record a voice note, do that. If you got to write it down, do that. But that's that's what I would say should be the core of your motivation.
1: Wow, that's... Is- <laughs> that is great but you are so right i have also always the same way if what this person has i can do it too right
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: and that is like you say in in and elbert south is true motivation um so again we do know it can be stressful you mentioned that earlier about is. you know yeah how to people manage people
0: think the- and here's the thing people yeah.
1: think that
0: a PhD is just taking classwork. That's the right. easy part. What do you think? Yes. Like the, taking classes and being in class and reading this article, what do you think? And writing a paper, writing a 20-page paper, which I thought like, oh my gosh, how can I do that? <laughs> writing a 20-page paper is nothing to me, particularly when I know the subject. I'm like, right. okay, yeah, and so it, <laughs> it's 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 more than just the coursework it's the new level of thinking it's the new it's the way that your and people like when they ask you like what did your phd do for you now that you have it now what it's the way that your mind opens in a way that it never has before because it's never been challenged like this before previous degree structures batch bachelor, associates bachelors masters it's about regurgitation I need you to know this. Okay, show me you know this on a test. Show me you know this in an oral exam, right? But, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking not of like JD or, or uh, MDs, um, but like of the, of the regular, uh, disciplines. Mm-hmm. And so you are demonstrating in a PhD program that you are the expert in this area. And here's why, because you went through all this other academic hazing, <laughs> <laughs> you went through all this other academic hazing. So you too can stand up here and make these claims to be true.
1: That is so true. Oh my goodness. So you're, what you're saying is like really hitting the mark. And I would like for you to answer this question for everyone who's listening um, today. And that that is how should someone manage the level of stress? Right. Oh, (laughs) right. So you're in this program. We know there's going to be some stress. There's going to be some mental health concerns. How, what would you give as a recommendation as to how someone should manage the stress?
0: yeah the stress is unavoidable the mental health challenges are unavoidable you will experience them at different levels because everyone's different but they are unavoidable i would say that you have to walk away walk Mm -hmm. away from the laptop shut it down and while you do that also shut your mind down because i've spent weekends and days where i said oh i'm not gonna write today I'm going to binge watch my favorite TV, but my mind and my inner thoughts, I felt so guilty for not actively working on the dissertation, actively um, thinking about the dissertation. And so that's what i would say to to manage your your mental health and your stress is that you got to step away because here's the beauty what happens when you step away you may gain more clarity when you come back it sounds very like hocus pocus very but i'm <laughs> telling you there have been times where i traditionally only thought about processing or thinking about or working on my dissertation being me and the macbook Typing, writing, highlighting, but some of the most powerful conversations have been with when someone's like, "Well, tell me about your what you're studying," and I was like, "Ooh, the way that I articulated that. Let me write that down. That's still, <laughs> that still counts as work on your dissertation." So I think it's also about substituting how we think about working on your dissertation. It's also in conversation with your family. Uh, it's also about putting distance between yourself and the work. Cause sometimes you can get so lost. You're like, Oh my gosh, what rabbit hole am I down yeah. now? And how did I get here? What is it that I'm trying to figure out and answer for myself and you're lost. And then you got to schedule a meeting with your advisor, like help me get back on track. I'm, um, I don't know what I'm doing here. So stepping away, um, realizing that quote unquote work, Happens in non traditional ways. And mm-hmm. so we have to unlearn that as well. And that mm-hmm. the work on your PhD is sometimes what you need. You need a break, you need a vacation, you need time off, and don't feel guilty about all the things that you're doing to stay well, because the well being of performing in terminal degrees and in MDs and JDs, particularly, I found this out just as an aside there are some major mental health concerns for attorneys for folks who are going into medicine, that the scholarship is now starting to reveal to say like, how do we support these students? Because when I say major health concerns, I mean like to the point where some folks may need an intervention, may need some medication. So it's, and these are, you know, it's it's unraveling things that were already there, but it's the heightened level of stress and demand and pressure that has really brought it to the surface so <laughs> management no. of stress um it it can come about in a lot of different areas you know your work performance your relationships how you deal with family um your blood pressure yeah. you, you you will be surprised what stress can do to your body. Yes. And I have several stories unrelated to this that I don't feel comfortable sharing, but several <laughs> stories of like how stress has impacted me. And I think everybody listening will know how stress impacts them too. It's times 10 in a PhD mm-hmm. program. Yeah. And you gotta you gotta be prepared for it. Like, what are you gonna do when you are there? Because you won't realize that it's happening until you're like, oh wow. Okay. Right. I need help. So somebody right. bring me down. Like you won't know until it hits you. So mm-hmm. you got to check in with yourself about that.
1: That is so true. Look, I remember like I started and then I stopped, right? Like life happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I remember being told uh, from day one of this first program and I was told, oh, I was like, they were like what are you doing? It went around the entire room asking around, what are you doing in your life? What are you doing? And I was so excited. I was like, I'm in the process of buying a house, right? I was all excited. And the person that was the program uh, um, coordinator was like, oh no, you uh, can't buy a house and do a doctorate.
0: (laughs) How do they know? know? I I hear a lot of people give advice like that. Like you can't get married. You can't have a child. You can't get divorced. You can't do this. you, You can't start a new job. I started three. (laughs) <laughs> <What>? Like, <laughs> how do they know what you can handle they don't know right. what
1: you can handle that is so true but they they think so and they will uh, discourage you and so I think that's why it's so important that at the end of the day we have to find our own ways to motivate ourselves and yeah, to yeah. encourage ourselves right um so I have one more question for you and that is I was recently alerted um, that you became a fellow, and I want to learn more about it. Again, congratulations! And so, if you could tell me a little bit about what your um, postdoctorate work involves, and what we can expect in the future research of your topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, a couple of things. I do want to take a, a break and a break from writing, even though I do have a couple of publications that have. Just hit the shelves, quote unquote shelves, or will be coming out very, very soon. So I've been a contributing author on um, a few book chapters uh, where I'm the sole author, where I talk about professionalism and hair bias and hair discrimination from different perspectives different angles in different industries. So that should be making its way to you. Publication is also a very long road. Um, it's like at least two years long. So yeah. that should be making its way to um, to the audience very, very soon. The Black Crown Chronicles podcast, it's available on every podcast platform. And I'm having conversations, you know, with other people about different aspects of identity and professionalism. So one of my Um, biggest things about going through the process or biggest awakenings is that I discovered, huh, I'm doing this research, but it's really only the folks who even have an EDU address or are exposed to this type of scholarship that would even find it valuable. And I find so much value in the non-traditional and it not being scripted as um, as the academy has said that this is scholarly and this is not. And so the podcast is one of the ways that I am contributing to the larger conversation and keeping these... Um, these topics relevant. And then um, at my university where I work, I was just awarded a grant to launch a much bigger project um, that's called Crowned Connections where in the DMV area, I will be bringing resources, experts, workshops that are tailored to black hair and black texture. Because I know when you are at a predominantly white campus, um, the CVS located close to you may not have what you need. You may have to travel 20, 30 minutes away. That also has a cost. Again, this black BEM tax that I talk about. Right. Um, and you taking time out to go to these places to get the things that you need. It's like having to go to a special store because you need a special toothpaste, because mm-hmm. your teeth are made of a different enamel. So that will be launching very soon. So I'll have more. To say about that in the spring. Um, but yeah, those are just a couple of projects. And I think that's enough for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> to manage. Um, seeing as we're still in 2023, I gra- I defended the dissertation in February. I graduated in May, and now it's October. So I also don't want to overwhelm and overpromise, under deliver. And also managing stress because that's another piece that folks don't talk about as often is yes. okay, now that you're done, what are you gonna do? And yes. saying what I'm gonna do is be me. Can I can I do that? Can I breathe for a minute? Can I regroup? Yeah. Can I think about how I want to enter the next phase of my career? Um, and so those have been some very um, passionate projects that I wanted to dedicate my time and my expertise towards and my energy. So that's what I'm doing. And I find a lot of, I find a lot of joy in it. Um, It's fulfilling, but there's also times where I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. And those are the times that I have to remind myself step away and then come Mm -hmm. back. Um, And I think anyone can say that about their passions is that sometimes you need to step away and then come back.
1: Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I am so proud of you and the work that you're doing and to uh, talk about hair um, you know and to bring it to the forefront here in academics um it is most definitely a topic that that we must continue uh to talk about and continue to pursue um if i could ask you one last thing and that is this what challenge do you see what maybe oh how could i how can i say this like what challenge do you think you might have moving further um in this field as you continue to pursue promoting Black care?
0: Which field are you referencing?
1: So in higher ed.
0: Um. So where I exist in higher ed is a very unconventional place. Like I do have an adjunct appointment as a professor, but my years of experience has been as an administrator. So right now I'm a dean, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, As a dean, day to day, does hair come up as a conversation? No, it doesn't. Unless someone's like, oh, I heard your latest episode on your podcast. It doesn't really come up. Now, while I'm teaching in my classes where we talk about race and racism, does it come up? Yeah, I can weave in different pieces, but it's not the sole focus. So what? one of the things that i particularly want to do is to create a course or an elective or maybe a series of courses part one and part two where we talk about feminism where we talk about uh black hair and texture identity where we talk about feminism so in that space all things will pertain to what my research is about so that's why you know i've always said since the beginning like my research is higher ed focus, but it's also not higher ed focus. It's very interdisciplinary because it touches so many different fields. So when I think about uh, challenges and support, um, I think the challenge is to find a pathway where 100% or maybe 80% of the time, this is where I live, right? In this sphere. I don't know if it's, well, I know right now it doesn't exist for me. So I would have to create it for myself. Mm -hmm. Or find different ways to fill that bucket. And that's what I'm currently doing with the podcast with the project that I'm working on with other writing pieces is that I'm kind of, it doesn't exist like, you know, if someone wants to become an assistant professor of anthropology, they could go right to the school of anthropology, there's no black beauty school. We are embedded in other areas, women's studies, gender studies, oh, sure. prof- business school. I'm, I'm embedded in so many different areas, but how wonderful would it be if you were an MBA student and now you're talking about black hair and professionalism?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I really have to like, create my own pathway there that's the challenge is that i'm the first in trying to figure this out that's that's a huge challenge but i don't think that it's impossible because i've been able to demonstrate it with the dissertation topic i'm sure a lot of folks looked at that and they said how is this (laughs) how how are how do these things play together but look i I demonstrated it i've published several times over um it won an award like it's gaining traction so It has a place, but I definitely have to carve it.
1: Yeah. And you keep on going to it, going through it and doing it, and you will continue to carve that space. Uh, I mean, and you'll do it. And I can say that most definitely. I wish you only the best. Thank
0: you so much. I appreciate that. I hope to listen to this episode one day and be like, see, you manifested everything that you wanted in this, in this conversation. So Mm -hmm. these are just the seeds.
1: Yeah, just to see, You have to write it down and make that vision plain. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure, for sure.
1: Uh, so thanks again. Thank you so much today, Dr. Roe, for joining us here. And thank you for being our first alumni feature uh, here at Morgan State University. Thank you so
0: much for having me, for recognizing me and the work that I've done. Um, it's truly an honor. Um, I'm just very humbled that someone has seen what I've done, read what I've done, heard about what I've done, and they've said we should have a conversation with you. So thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it because I don't get to talk about, you write your dissertation and then you put it down. You don't get to talk about it. So this is more in depth for people who are like, yeah, yeah, I'll read it. They're not reading it, but listen to this conversation and you'll know what the dissertation is about and what my scholarship is about. So thank you so
1: much for creating the space. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. And uh, thank you again. And we'll uh, tune in to the next one. Sounds good.